It's an early super XL Spain and Fitz. <laughs> Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We gave you a super wild card weekend. It's not even done yet, technically. The rest of the wild card finishing tonight on Monday Night Football. So why not give you a super Spain and Fitz extra long by 40 minutes? A nice round number of 40 minutes extra spaded fits. We're uh, we're bringing to you here on the ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM Channel 80, presented by Progressive Insurance. And Fitz, you know what? We're going to get into all the Cowboys mess. We're going to get into all the things that we watched this weekend, jobs that might be up for grabs, people that underperformed, overperformed. We're going to get you ready for Monday Night Football. But I think we got to take this five minutes to ease ourselves in by just, you know, giving you the straight talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless on how you're feeling. Just give us the straight talk on your weekend. Did you throw things? Did you break things? Did you so, puke? What's happening? You know, the, here's the funny thing. I actually had more peace than I ever would have expected. And that's the crazy really? thing. Like, I was so anxious on Sunday uh, last week as the season came to an end and the Raiders had the chance to get in. I, I looked at this Cincinnati game with so much, like, peace and happiness that – my favorite team had a playoff game. And the funny thing is I spent most of the game saying, hey, we're getting outplayed. We don't really have a chance here. We'll get into some of the controversies. But then it came down to the very end. All of a sudden, that was when the football gods were like, hey, you know what? He doesn't have enough passion. Let's go ahead and reel him in. Let's go ahead and you up him. And that's exactly what they did in the last series. And I thought the way this season had gone, I was like, Mother, you know what? We're going to pull this thing out. I can't believe I'm watching this. I'm going to watch the Raiders in Tennessee next week in the second round of the playoffs. And then, Mm. you know, they ripped my heart out and reminded me that I'm still a Raiders fan. So keeping it close was better for you because you got to enjoy it until the very end? Or do you think it would have been a little less painful if it had been like, okay, this one's over, you know, pack it in? And and get ready for next now, year. Keeping it close felt good for me because in my mind it felt like we actually belonged. Like I, I, I watched it mm. and thought, hey, we're not just getting destroyed here. This is what the Raiders have done for the last two months of the season. They make games look ugly. So they made the game look ugly. They kept themselves in it. I, I genuinely sat there and thought, man, this is a heck of an effort from a bunch of guys that nobody thought would be here. I felt I felt really good about it all the way until you didn't throw in the end zone on fourth and goal with the right it's those fine. two it's fine. Uh, defenders coming right towards your guy and then the interception it's Spain and Fitz Jason Fitz uh you got to enjoy more of a season than I did right I've I mourned the Bears uh actually weeks and weeks ago because when they were technically eliminated uh but but I wonder because you're a guy who has oftentimes brought up the tuck rule and clearly has not ever moved past that. What we think of what what are we calling this Whistlegate? Uh, inadvertent yeah. whistle? Like, yeah, are, whistle, are you feeling robbed feels... at all? Do you think your team would have won if that had been called correctly? I think the difference is the tuck rule was at the end of the game, essentially. Although there was plenty of football after that. As Lincoln Kennedy pointed out to me last week, the Raiders never touched the ball again offensively after the tuck rule. So there was no chance for them to go out and try and still assert their dominance. This was a bad whistle on a bad call late in the second quarter that was answered. The, the the Raiders still answered with the touchdown before halftime. So it felt like whatever the disaster was was mitigated by what their offense did. And for anyone that didn't see it, a ref obviously blew the whistle. The rule is supposed to be you replay the down. But at that point, the Raiders' defense had done very little to stop Cincinnati on that drive. I mean, I'm not going to presume that they would have scored a touchdown, but they might have. They might have scored a field goal. You never know. Like It changes the whole dynamic of the game. I'm not as worked up about it because it was – the second quarter, and because I watched the Raiders do what most of the teams that lost this weekend did, and that was commit stupid penalties throughout mm. the course of the game. Like I, I feel like the number of teams we saw lose the football games this weekend was just the theme. Whoever played stupid paid the consequence. 
you know, I, I, I like to hear that because it does make it a little cleaner for those of us that don't have a, 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 any skin in the game. I heard Bisaccia say that. I heard Max Crosby say it. Like, we had plenty of opportunities. You know, we did this to ourselves in some ways. And that does make it hurt a little bit less. It didn't look like that defender would have gotten there, even if the whistle hadn't maybe slowed him a little bit. Um, and it would have felt kind of also unfair you know, if if the whistle had blown dead a, a Bengals play that was fantastic, but in the end, that was the rule. It's required by rule that if there's an errant and you know inadvertent whistle, you stop the play. And we all got gaslit by them saying, "Well, yeah, the whistle came after the catch." No, it didn't. We all yeah. just watched eight replays of it. Uh, so it was mishandled. And Fitz, they will be out of the postseason too. Those officials. So I guess maybe that makes you feel better. That that's consequence, by the way. That's straight talk. Straight talk. Wireless. No contract. No compromise. The stunning part is that New York changed a ruling later in the game. I don't know why they didn't change that one they could have because it's not allowed no it is not allowed that is the other part of the rule they were allowed to even after the game talk about the entire play and then say we refer you to the part where inadvertent whistles cannot be part of review kind of wild uh coming up who's most to blame for the cowboys loss we'll get into it spain and fits on espn radio the espn app and sirius xm channel 80 no you haven't messed up your timing no you're not uh, confused on what's supposed to be happening right now you just get a little bonus, Spain and Fitz, as we're coming at you a little early, uh, thanks to uh, some scheduling around the NBA. ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance. Drivers who switch and save with Progressive save over $700 on average. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. I-, I think we can all agree that there was a stunned gasp from the nation watching football last night as we were watching the Cowboys at the end try and pull off the impossible, try and end San Francisco's season. Everybody's seen the play at this point as Dak Prescott dropped back to pass and then ran 17 yards with the ball, went to slide, and in the process of sliding, uh, came down. And then instead of handing the ball to the ump, he handed the ball to his center, who then tried to snap the ball. The ump had to run through the line. All of these delays prevented the Cowboys from being able to clock the ball. As a result, time ticked down to zero. So many mistakes in this place. There, from uh, Dak Prescott running farther than he could, given the amount of time that was left. From not handing the ball directly to the ump, as we even see college kids do on Saturday. Inside two minutes, it's, it's just a, a thing that's in everybody's head at this point. You pop up, you hand the ball over to the ump. That's the way it goes. To watching the ump get in there and have to spot the ball because, I don't know, that's his job and that's what he's told to do. Like All of these things got in the way of a Cowboys opportunity to try and force a win here, and it's a stunning reminder that the one thing, the one Achilles heel every year seems to be coaching, and it feels like it bit them again. I mean, let's just go before even the execution or lack thereof. The idea that a team that has set the franchise record for penalties, most of which are pre-snap penalties, who has struggled all game just to start an offensive play correctly with everyone in the right spot, no one jumping over, no one lined up offsides, that that team thought, you know what we'll do? We'll run a play that requires such perfect execution down to the second from everyone involved that is already a push and a reach to be running with 14 seconds left because every analyst and former player will tell you you need at least 16 for this, and even then it has to go just right. So that's where we're starting from. Let's call a play that seems all but impossible with the personnel that we have that cannot help themselves from pre-snap penalties. We'll call it with too little time. 
Dak will run for too long. We'll forget that the official always has to spot the ball. We'll move the ball at least two yards ahead of where he was downed so that even when the official, who's full sprinting, arrives, gets through the double box out from Dak and the center to get to the ball, tries to push them back, and then says, oh, whatever, go for it. Which, by the way, most of the team was still lined up offsides at that point because he did push them back a little bit closer to the original spot that he was down. You've got, and I, I couldn't tell from the video I was watching who it was, but someone with absolutely zero urgency walking back towards the line who was still offsides even when the official did spot it. So even if they had gotten the playoff, it would have been yet another penalty. And then after the fact, both McCarthy standing up for it and saying that they've run it every Friday, Saturday, they practice it all the time, which then further implicates him and the team for their inability to run it correctly if they have indeed practiced it that many times. And then Dak blaming the officials afterwards. All of it is why the Cowboys are America's team in name only and have not been successful in the postseason for decades because it's always somebody else's fault. Well, uh, and through all of that, I keep thinking back to the one statement you just made. They practice this every Friday, Saturday. Like, the hell you practice it? Because if you right. practice that every week and that's how you ran it in the game, like, right. I'm, I'm Were dumbfounded. Were there officials that you had to hand the ball to in practice? And, and right? the, the Was other there part someone of this... downing it that had to, you know, how were they running in practice to a really approximate a game situation? And were you running it with 14 seconds specifically? Well, and all of that, the other factor that I think should have been in their play calling, you know, as they mentioned, even analytics, you have to at some point acknowledge the fact that you're taking on a San Francisco defense that led the league in defensive pass interference. Like, Mm -hmm. you've got a stock of weapons on the outside. Like, your choice is not to go after the secondary that was playing soft the entire drive leading up to that point. You're not going to do that. You're going to try and get yourself a few extra yards for a a, a different type of of long bomb slash Hail Mary play from that it made no sense to me like the entire progress we talk about how offensive play callers need to know if they're in four down territory they need to know the next two or three plays coming in it felt like they completely lost their minds on any path at all yeah it 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 was it was inexcusable to be honest and I'm not gonna go Steve A and say they should all be ashamed of themselves everyone was trying their best they just made a terrible decision but Mike McCarthy after the fact I know he's not going to come out and say we we shouldn't have called that, but just to double down here is is what he said. Just uh, it's tough to take. We call them thresholds and you know the field position, what yard line you're at, and what you're trying to get to too, based on you know defense that they're trying to the defense that they're playing. They're in a sideline defense, so they were protecting the sidelines, and so that was the best option to you know to be able to get the ball. I mean, it's it's like anything else. Do you do you want to be running the hail mary play from the fifty yard line, or you want to be running five verticals from the twenty five yard line? So that's the decision. It's the right decision. Um, you know, it's just like anything. It's you know the, the execution between us and the officiating spot in the ball obviously wasn't in tune wasn't you know we shouldn't have had any problem getting the ball spotted there just if that's is that the quote you're looking for I mean, again, Fitz, everybody has said, we have always been told you need at least 16 seconds to run a play like that. But if you're Dak and you really want to take advantage of a soft middle, because they were defending the sidelines as they should in that situation, then you run it for nine seconds, eight seconds, whatever you need to get that couple yards that you so desperately want. I agree with you, though. To me, it's why wouldn't you want a couple shots at the end zone instead of draining it down to one or two seconds for one shot from 15 yards closer? Yeah, and that's the part that it just lacks any logic, and it lacks any understanding of your strengths against their weaknesses. And 
you know, even if they're in that defense, again, that, that defense had been carved up up to that point. So I, I can't figure out why through all of it, the Cowboys seem to have a yeah, but for every time that there's an opportunity to take accountability to the process, like that's about, and, and I'll continue to put Dak under that, that uh, microscope as well, because I thought not only did he handle that play poorly, he should have gone down earlier. He handled the questions about the play poorly afterwards. And I was really stunned, frankly, when he was asked afterwards about fans throwing things at the players. And he had this response. That's sad. Uh, I mean, you're talking about a team. You're talking about men that come out each and every day of their lives and uh, give everything to the sport, um, give everything to this game of football. Um, nobody wants to succeed more than we want to succeed. I understand fans and, and, and the word fan for fanatic. I get that. But um, to know everything that we put into this day in and day out, try our hardest. Um, nobody comes in in the game wanting or expecting, expecting to lose. And um, for, for people to react that way when you're supposed to be a supporter, um, and, and be with us through thick and thin, uh, th- that's tough. I think they were aiming at the referees. Yeah. 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 They were at the referees. Well, credit to them then. Mm. I hate every second mm. of that. Like, you apply every, every ounce of what he just said to the officials because, look, I know officials had a tough weekend across the NFL, and there are real conversations to be had about the job that some of them have done. But that to, to come in and question everything he just said about showing up to work and working hard and trying your best to do every single thing. Like, I, I've never met an official or former official in my life that wanted to be the reason the game output, outcome mm-hmm. changed, right? Like, they take their jobs very seriously. They may not always do great jobs. They may not always do perfect work. But you're telling me it, it's a shame for fans to make a statement against the players, but it's okay if they're making a statement against the officials who, again, in that play, did their jobs correctly when Dak didn't. Listen, I, I think it's heat of the moment. I think it would have been wise for Dak to post something quickly this morning and just say, I was extremely frustrated. It was such a disappointing loss. Um, it's clear that the officials, just just because his reputation, I think most people will probably forget it, but some people will hold it against him to say something like that after a game, particularly when, again, they just didn't execute every part of that play. And to blame it on the officiating is such a cop-out. Um, and it just says something about your character. You know, I also think this is a this is a team that's going to go into the offseason so disappointed about the weapons that they had, so disappointed about the expectations that they had, and allowing yourselves within the building and your fan base to hold up this outside entity that you can pl- blame will prevent you from moving forward and getting better. Yeah. Not understanding that you were the most penalized team all season long and then heading into this game and having players from the Cowboys say that officials are looking for them to call penalties on instead of expecting yourselves to work on the discipline that allows you to have 14 penalties in a game, right? Like that's the problem is that if they use this holding up of the refs as the thing to blame, they are not allowing themselves to get any better and then they're setting themselves up for this to happen all over again. Just once, I want teams and fans of teams to step up when these penalties happen. And this includes my beloved Raiders, who are always in this conversation. Just step up and be like, wow, we're undisciplined. Instead of it being some great grand scheme that's trying to keep the Cowboys from advancing in the playoff. Like, the, the, it's just the conspiracy theories on all right. of this and the way people talk about the officiating is like, you know what? If you want less penalties called, Commit less penalties. It, also, it's a very why would the, why would the NFL or the officials not want the Cowboys to advance of all a, teams? I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. A thousand percent, yeah, because everybody everybody wants to play the victim when it comes to the way penalties are called. All right, we've got a ton of weekend action to break down. So the question is, which team had the most impressive wild card win? We'll answer that question next. Bain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. 
Saints. On Saturday, my beloved Raiders are going to kick the snot out of the Cincinnati Bengals. So I figure we might as well bring in Jordan Cornette. I am going to Cincinnati. I am going to watch the game mm-hmm. because I know what's going to happen in Cincinnati. And my Bengals are going to win the game. Save your money. Don't buy it. We don't want you in the Queen City. There's no skyline. There's no graders for you. We don't want you around because winners hang out in the 513. Have a great weekend. (laughs) Enjoy your tears. Hey, Jordan, we're going to kick your ass. You might as well accept it now. The Raiders are going to beat the Bengals some way, somehow. And Sunday you'll feel sicker than after eating sky. My guy Max Crosby makes your whole damn line look silly See, I'm sorry to say You'll be crying Saturday When the Raiders take your playoff dreams away And after 31 years, the drought is over! (laughs) And guess what? The Joe Burrow era is just beginning. No doubt about it. Nah, you talk about bend but don't break. The Bengals defense bent about as far as the defense can bend, but they did not break. Unbelievable football game. And I'll tell you, Dan, I got a tremendous amount of respect for this Las, Las Vegas Raiders football team. These guys do not win. They are physically and mentally tough. Oh, that's ESPN 1530 in Cincy. That was Jason Fitz singing after sparring with Jordan Cornette, diehard Bengals fan who was definitely sober as he was sprinting down the streets of Cincinnati <laughs> after that game. It's Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. Uh, now that it's Monday, Fitz, would you say you're singing a different tune? Wow. You know what? Sports Nation came to me and said, we need you to trash talk uh, Jordan. So I figured the best way I could do it was by, you know, writing a song. So mm-hmm. that's what I did. And, Blaming uh, it on you know work, what? huh? It, We're hiding behind a work assignment, eh? No, no, but you'll be proud of me. You know what happened today? I made, I, there was a Sports Nation bet and the loser would have to wear the other, uh, other person's gear on Sports Nation the next time they were on. So this morning... I wore one in Jordan's uh, Cincinnati Bengals hoodies on Sports Nation. Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you, why would I be proud of you for paying (laughs) off a bet with someone else when you haven't paid off a single GD bet that we've had on this show? The lack of respect that you have for me that you're paying off that bet within a day. I mean, and you haven't paid off all the things you owe me from the years of this work marriage. I mean, here's the thing. Uh, I I didn't really have a choice because I was on Sports Nation uh-huh. with his wife. So you know what am I going to do? Okay, to, so what you're chase, saying is I got to show up in life. person. Yeah, but I mean, that's, what you're it, saying is I have to be physically present with the ability to beat your butt. For also, you to pay I've off. never felt more like an eight year old kid than when I put on Jordan Cornette's hoodie <laughs> on TV. Like my arms didn't even come near, like barely past the elbows as I just oh, flopped man. around there, and you know and. Uh, I, I would like to say I'm sorry to Cincinnati and uh, to Graders, particularly Graders and I made up over the weekend. We're, we're friends again, but I'm not sorry for Skyline. Skyline's not good. You're never going to be sorry for that. Hey, y'all, Fitz is, is putting on a nice face, and I'm proud of you for showing up and for being positive about your team, for saying some nice things about their fight and the, the fact that they kept you in it for as long as they did, and they made you feel proud. And, and I think we want to make sure everybody else out there 
whose team suffered a loss this weekend, uh, eases their way into the offseason. So we want you to say something nice. There are five NFL fan bases that saw their seasons end yesterday or the day before. Uh, There's going to be another one tonight. We don't know who yet in that Monday Night Football game. But I need you to say something nice about one of the teams that lost, or maybe several, and we're going to help those folks ease their way into the offseason. At Sarah Spain, at Spain and Fitz, at Jason Fitz is where you can, and and preferably actually something nice, although I'm sure we'll get some sarcasm in the mix there, Fitz. Yeah, we're going to get mostly sarcasm in the mix. But, you know, <laughs> I, I'll say, like, I, I look at some teams, like, I'll, I'll even look at the Steelers. They got, I know it was not the, the outcome that they wanted. It was the outcome you and I expected. But I thought the fight in that Steelers defense for as long as they could put themselves up against the ropes was really, I mean, they played with there was such an fire. There was an effort. Um, I will say, speaking of, I can't believe it took me this long into the show, although technically the show hasn't started. Our real show hasn't started. Uh 5-0 and in my picks. Parody schmerity. I don't mm. know what everybody was saying when they were talking about how these games were so tough to pick this weekend. 5-0, and baby. Yeah, that that is much. I I regret saying that Buffalo was more talented, but I trusted Belichick because it took about 10 Mm -hmm. minutes to realize that that was a bad take for me. Do you also regret that you were kept hammering home that the Cowboys were contenders? I mean, I still think the Cowboys were contenders. Oh, I didn't. Okay. I didn't realize Mike could do that much. Like McCarthy, mm. McCarthy just. Oof. Okay, it wasn't. It wasn't on on Dak, who was I think twenty three of forty three and had a pick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's not on Dak. It wasn't it's totally on. It's, it's totally CD on Lamb, who they named yeah. on Nickelodeon Spotify Lamb because kids don't know what CDs are. Uh, not being <laughs> able to make a catch until a couple minutes left. Oh, I'm glad that you were putting it solely on the coach. Coming up. Speaking of things that people will be blaming if things don't go well, Matt Stafford tonight. We'll talk about it next. An extra large, extra long, super Spain and Fitz continues on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz with you. Don't forget to tune into the ESPN Daily Podcast, bringing you a deep dive into a single story from one of ESPN's hundreds of reporters presented by Supercuts. Download, subscribe, and review ESPN Daily, available wherever you enjoy your podcasts. We're going to head over to the Goodyear hotline to get you ready for tonight's matchup where we are joined by our very own Lindsay Theory. Lindsay, thanks for the time. There's so much conversation about the pressure on the Rams. We feel it externally because of all of their moves this year. Do you have any sense on how that pressure, if it has seeped into the locker room? It's really hard to get a sense, obviously, if it's seeped into the locker room just because we're not really in there anymore. Um, limitations to Zoom and whatnot, but look. These guys on this team understand what this roster is put together for. I mean, the minute Von Miller arrived in L.A., he said, I'm here to win a Super Bowl. That's what they brought me here for. Odell Beckham Jr. picked the Rams because he felt one of the reasons why was that they could go as far as anyone into the playoffs. Matthew Stafford, I mean, Sean McVay said before uh, he even arrived in L.A., after it was announced that he was going to be their new quarterback, that uh, the expectation, the hope, was that he'd be the guy to really take them where they want to go. Obviously, that's the Super Bowl. Um, so the Rams have kind of tried to downplay, saying this is just another game. But without question, they know this roster was built to go to the Super Bowl. Lindsay, let's talk specifically about Matt Stafford, because he's telling everyone, I'm fine, no pressure. But Kyle Brandt on Good Morning Football today said the, the, the length of time he's played without a playoff game, he's basically the 40-year-old virgin at this point. Like, it's just so pent up <laughs> that, like, there's no way to play it off like it isn't a big deal. So instead of thinking about what Stafford says about it, have you heard from anyone else around the building, coaches or team, about how it, he seemed to be handling himself this week of practice and getting ready for the game? Yeah, you know, I asked Sean McVay really kind of what the vibe was, how everything's going. He says, look, there's no 
it's a heightened sense of urgency. We approach every game with urgency. So really what they've been saying, at least to the outside world, is that this is business as usual as they try to just win another football game against an opponent they really know. Um, you know, Sean McVay was asked if there is more pressure on Matthew Stafford. And he said, no, his resume speaks for itself. But it's kind of curious. I mean, Sean McVay is the one who wanted Matthew Stafford here. Uh, Matthew Stafford has had some brilliant moments. He's had some very air-riddled moments. Um, so I don't think Sean McVay is trying to apply any extra pressure that he knows already exists on Matthew Stafford. And, and frankly, those two are pretty tied together. So I don't think Sean McVay even really wants to acknowledge that the Super Bowl is the expectation because if they fall short, then there's a lot of question marks. So, Lindsay, uh, you know, I'm, I'm always careful with this. I'm 44, so calling anybody old in the NFL just feels wrong. But Eric Weddle's 37. That's old in NFL years. Hasn't played in two years. The Rams lose both of their safeties in the regular season finale. Now we find ourselves in this situation with Weddle being active. What kind of role can he actually play in this game? It's so wild. I was counting the days. It's been 749 since he last played in the NFL. Uh, he joined the Rams five days ago, and he expects he's going to go out there and make a difference. Um, I, wow. I know that the Rams certainly hope he will. Uh, Sean McVay said they're really going to get snap by snap, but he also said, you know, he knows Weddle. Once he gets in the flow of the game, if he's feeling it, like they might just let him go. Uh, I think that could be a somewhat tempered role, though. I mean, uh, Terrell Burgess and Nick Scott are the backups. Um, they obviously are in game shape. So I think it's going to come down a lot to – uh, obviously, this is a chess match with Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray. Uh, Weddle is very smart, very cerebral, has a ton of experience, and knows the, the knowledge behind the game. Massive question, though, whether or not 37, five days uh, off, of, off of driving his kids to and from football practice himself, if he can keep up in the NFL. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, talking to Lindsay Theory on the Goodyear Hotline ahead of tonight's massive Monday night football wild card game between the Rams and the Cardinals. Everyone's talking about the quarterbacks. Let's put them aside for a moment and ask you what other elements of this game are going to be the most important to the Rams to get a W? Yeah, it's going to be uh, their defensive line. I mean, last game when they really dominated the Cardinals, we saw that defensive line dominate. I mean, Aaron Donald wreaked havoc for Kyler Murray. We saw Von Miller really come alive. Um, so it, it does go a little bit back to the quarterback, but as long as the Rams' defensive line can put that kind of pressure on them, the Rams have a really good chance of winning here tonight. Lindsay, will they have a home field advantage? I think so, yeah. It was brutal last week. I know what you're referring to. Uh, you know, the Niners fans, they took this place over for that regular season finale. Um, Cardinals fans don't quite come at a, at a fever pitch level quite like the Niners. I do think uh, it'll be a Rams-heavy crowd. Um, it really probably, though, we are in L.A. It is Monday night. It has drizzled today. Uh, everyone, be careful. It's raining in L.A. Um, oh, boy. Watch the streets. A raving crowd. Everyone stay home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's very sad when Stafford's wife has to tell everyone, please don't sell your tickets to Cardinals fans. Um, okay, so, you know, we, we've we've talked about – um, a lot of the elements. Let's get to the coaching side of things. Where is the where is the uh, advantage here in your mind of these two coaches as they come into this game? Well, you know, Sean McVay and his team, they tend to peak at the right time. It's winless November, followed by an undefeated December. I know they're coming off a, a big-time loss in that finale, but coaching-wise, Sean McVay's kind of been here. He's proven that his team play well down the stretch. 
the same can't be said about Cliff Kingsbury and the Cardinals. I mean, these guys are kind of limping into this. Um, you have a coach who's making his first playoff appearance, quarterback making his first playoff appearance. So I think the edge there really has to be given to Sean McVay. Yeah, you mentioned the the limping in for the Cardinals. There were without DeAndre Hopkins, this offense has looked completely different. So, what advantage mm-hmm. does it give the Rams not having to worry about him out there? How does it change the way they can defend uh, the Cardinals in general? Well, I think I mean it's obviously going to be a big help when they're down to starting safeties. Uh, you know, if their secondary is being spread thin, DeAndre Hopkins not having to have him on your radar certainly helps. And it has been a big time emphasis though on making sure that AJ Green uh, doesn't go off, doesn't do a ton of damage. But uh, with the Rams obviously being banged up on defense, not having DeAndre Hopkins to worry about is obviously something big off their plate. But it, it all comes back down to Kyler Murray. They know he's been so. Um, explosive against them both in the pass and in the run. Um, so he's just kind of a different animal uh, for this defense to make sure they're covering. Spain and Fitz, Lindsay Theory with us here talking about Rams Cardinals tonight on ESPN. First Monday night football wild card game. Whoever wins it will have a short week of rest, but they're not thinking about that now. They're thinking about the win tonight. Um, Lindsay, who's the leader on this team? Matt Stafford, obviously a big one, but he's never been here before. Who are they looking to? Who are they talking to about what it feels like to get into a game like this one? Yeah, you look to Cooper Cup. I mean, this guy has been here for the Rams run the last five seasons. Obviously, he's coming off a tremendous regular season, triple crown winner. I mean, he is such a pro. You look to him. He's calm in, in, in all the moments, the biggest and, and some of the worst moments. He's just so steady. So if you're on the offense, you look at Cooper Cup, obviously along with Matthew Stafford, but, but Cup's the leader there. Defensively, you, I would pick, pick who you want to look to. Uh, you got Aaron Donald up front. He's the lead by example. You got Jalen Ramsey in the back. He's a little bit more vocal. Ron Miller, obviously, been here before. So that defense, um, they have some young guys they have to depend on, but they have so many older guys who've been in high-stakes moments, whether that's Super Bowls or in the NFL playoffs before, that they can really rely on. Well, try and handle the reckless rain of sprinkling out there in L.A. and enjoy the experience. <laughs> Follow her on Twitter, at Lindsay Theory. Also on Instagram, it's the same. Lindsay, thanks so much for the time and the insight, my friend. We appreciate you. Good news. we got a roof here. Thanks, guys. Oh, my gosh. L.A., I've lived there. It rains even the tiniest bit, and people forget how to live. It's crazy. Uh, I'm so pumped for tonight's game. Fitz and I are going to make some picks a little later in the show. Uh, I was real hot in the Cardinals for a while, if you all remember, as regular listeners. We'll see if I'm still hot on them tonight. Coming up, we got to get back to some of the Cowboys fallout. What's next for Mike McCarthy in Dallas? Also, some changes already for Fitz's Raiders. It's all next. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz with you on ESPN Radio. The ESPN app at Sirius XM Channel 80. We're going to head over to the Goodyear Let's head over to the Goodyear Hotline to get insight from one of our favorites, ESPN NFL front office insider, all things guru of all things NFL. Mike Tannenbaum joins us. Mike, thank you so much for the time. Really appreciate it. You know, we're coming off the heels of a huge weekend of playoff football, but a lot of conversation about the fact that some of the games maybe weren't all that competitive. We're only one year in, but how do you feel about the expanded playoff format? Yeah, it's still a work in progress. Look, we have a great event on uh, ESPN platforms tonight with a great, should be a great game between Arizona and the Rams. But, you know, let's face it, the two seven seeds, you know, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh didn't acquit themselves quite as well. But it did give us a great weekend of football overall. 
We are getting reports in that Mike Mayock was informed that he will not be retained. Obviously, John Gruden out in October, Mayock now out in January. First of all, are you surprised? And do you think that with the GM being gone, so goes the coach for the Raiders as well? Yeah, candidly, I'm a little surprised. I thought, you know, they had won enough games coming down the stretch. Obviously, so much has been made about, you know, the Damon Arnett situation, the awful tragedy of Henry Ruggs, Alex Leatherwood not working out. I thought there was enough of a foundation there where uh, maybe they were going to give him a little bit more time. And, you know, to me, I thought Rich Passaccia really, guys, had done enough. You know, sometimes we overcomplicate things. That team played really well. I mean, much to the chagrin of Jason's liver. I mean, we saw really (laughs) productive football out of the Raiders for a long time here. So I thought Rich deserved another chance. Yeah, well, and Mike, I mean, I guess I'll ask you from a GM standpoint, what do you look for when you look for a coach? Because it felt like, to your point, Passaccia had guys playing hard for him. How much should that factor in? A lot. You know, it's about leadership, guys. It's about scaling leadership, holding people accountable, hiring a staff, developing a staff. Uh, and uh, I'm a little surprised that, um, you know, we'll see what happens here. You know, but um, those guys played really hard for him, and they overachieved, and they won games down the stretch in a very meaningful way. And, you know, even in the playoff loss to the Bengals, you know, that, that was a really good Bengal team at home. And, you know, Derek Carr and, and the Raiders really stood toe-to-toe. So I thought he had earned the right, you know, to keep this thing going. Mike Tannenbaum with us here on Spain and Fitz on the Goodyear Hotline. Uh, Cowboys EVP Stephen Jones said on The Fan today that he is confident Mike McCarthy will remain in charge of the team in 2022. Absolutely. Very confident. Are you surprised to hear that so quickly after last night's debacle, they are putting their faith publicly behind Mike McCarthy? You know, a little bit. Not only did they lead the league in penalties, they had 69 accepted penalties on their offense. And that's about three things, guys. Discipline, discipline, discipline. And mm-hmm. I would be having a very authentic, direct conversation by saying, like, look, here's the answers to the test. You want to be the coach here next year and for a long time? We cannot be the most penalized team in the country, period, end of story. And if it doesn't get better, remember this conversation. So starting in mini camps and Oxnard and training camp, we will not tolerate being this heavily penalized. And we need to have a detailed plan on how you're going to fix it. Quick follow for you. Do you think Kellen Moore's job opportunities will be affected by last night's decision-making? You know, I, I've been in those situations before where you hopefully don't make a decision based on any one game. With that said, owners, GMs, they're human. Um, obviously, they lack some attention to detail at the end. And I'm not just talking about Dak, but even number 85, Noah Brown, they lacked a sense of urgency mm. in that last sequence. We're talking to Mike Tannenbaum. ESPN NFL front office insider. When you try and figure out what your team has, how do you weigh everything you've seen? Like I'm thinking of Jalen Hurts specifically. So you've seen enough from the quarterback to see some good, but see some bad. You see the playoffs. Like how do you figure out what you have moving forward with the body of work that he's given? You know, Jason, I think the the key is you got to juxtapose that against what you can do to improve your team. If I'm Philly, they've done a great job. Three number one picks. I would certainly think about maybe we draft one and have them compete. You certainly could look to be opportunistic. You know, does Jameis Winston come in on a one-year deal, maybe compete? Obviously, Jimmy Garoppolo's future in San Francisco is very much uh, uh, up in the air. So I like what they've done. It's a good foundation, but you still have to have a lot of question marks about can he ultimately take them to where they want to go. When you look at the NFC and, you know, the Aaron Rodgers, the Tom Brady's, you know, Kyle Murray's, you know, I don't see Jalen Hurts, despite his improvement in that class of quarterback. 
Mike, you mentioned Garoppolo, so a lot of question marks there. Uh, you mentioned that the Eagles got a lot in a trade. That was for Carson Wentz. Major question marks there after Chris Ballard certainly didn't give him a, a, a real sign of faith. Uh, are there possible places you see either of those guys ending up? Yeah, I mean, those are great questions. I mean, you know what's amazing? Like this whole discussion about quarterbacks, I think there's about a dozen teams, you know, like you said, you could throw in Indy, and then you get into other teams like Pittsburgh, New Orleans, Denver, Houston, so many teams are going to be quarterbacks that there's going to be a massive, massive, in my opinion, upheaval coming here in the few, next couple of weeks. And I can see Carson Wentz possibly starting the league and maybe not even for the Colts. So I think there's so much more to come. And I think it starts with Aaron Rodgers, then Russell Wilson, and then to mm-hmm. me, the dominoes fall from there. Does that mean that, like, I want to stick with Aaron Rodgers for a second because we've given the Packers so much grief for how they handled the entire situation. But you mentioned the Steelers and the Saints, two teams that remain incredibly loyal to veteran quarterbacks to the point that they never addressed the situation. So what's the better way to handle it? Well, I think it's both. I mean, you look at how did Aaron Rodgers become a Packer? They had the great Brett Favre. Ironically, Green Bay knew they had something special in Aaron Rodgers and traded Brett Favre when I was at the Jets to us. And I think it's that sort of systematic approach of you can never have enough of them. And I think if Pittsburgh should be faulted for anything, they they were too loyal to Ben Roethlisberger and held on to an all-time great two years too long. And I think what Chris Ballard's trying to do now at Indianapolis is just to say, hey, we just got to keep, you know, looking for ways to replace Andrew Lockett's Phillip Rivers, Carson Wentz, and we just got to keep going. And I think it's more of a mindset, guys, and a systematic approach. Mike Tannenbaum, ESPN front office insider with us here on Spain and Fitz. Let's drill down because you've been in, in, in these positions where you have to make decisions. And as fans, we are ready to get rid of a guy who's not performing, no matter whether he's been here forever and he's beloved. We're also you know, wanting to hang on to guys who might be past their prime. If we love them, like we're completely irrational and we go both directions. How does it feel to be in those meeting rooms with GMs and staffers and coaches looking at someone like Ben Roethlisberger, knowing that it's time to move on, and then making the decisions that ultimately hurt the present and future of the team because you have that emotional tie? How difficult is that, especially if people within that room don't agree on what to to do oh sarah we could be completely irrational in that room just as well so it's uh <laughs> it's on both. and um i you know it comes back to two very fundamental threshold questions be it the jones family looking at mike mccarthy be it a quarterback situation a who are you going to get and b in the player spectrum more specifically how much are they going to cost meaning you know we could all be bad at carson wentz you know didn't work out against jacksonville completely un- unacceptable and that's all well and good, and that is true. But now the question is, who are you going to get to replace him, and how much is he going to cost? Like, are you going to go to war with Sam Ellinger for 17 games next year? And when you start looking at it through a very honest and sober sort of like prism of what are the alternatives, all of a sudden you say, okay, maybe we could coach up Carson once a little bit better. How do we put him in a position to be successful? So those are sort of like the bedrock sort of filters you have to think about when you're and again, going back to Coach McCarthy, if you say, can we get the clock management better? Can we get the end of the games better? Because if we can, if we're being you know honest about things, things from an offensive standpoint were better this year, and Dan Quinn did a great job on the defensive side of the ball. 
Mike, just remember, if you or any of your friends decide to take the Raiders gig, uh, I'm here to hold your bags, be the assistant to the assistant <laughs> to the assistant <laughs> to the regional manager. Like, there I'm just go. looking, you know, just, just swag. He just That's wants all in the building. He wants free stuff and he wants free tickets. Uh, I just want him to think about who he's talking to when he tells me that front office people can be irrational, too. I'm a Bears fan, okay? Yeah, that's, that's all fair. I've that's had fair. for my whole life. Mike, we appreciate uh, your insight, man. Thanks, <laughs> thanks so much for hanging out with us. Have a great night, my friend. All right. Thanks so much for having me, guys. I mean, yeah. I just uh, irrationality, bad choices, and uh, just fingers crossed for another offseason where I have to await some more choices. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive makes bundling easy and affordable. Get a multi-policy discount by combining your car, home, motorcycle, commercial, auto, and more. All your protection in one place. Bundle and save at Progressive.com. This is Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Coming up, we got a Monday night football playoff game tonight. What do we expect from Kyler Murray in his postseason debut? It's coming up next. If you can believe it, after all of that action we got this weekend, Saturday, Sunday, we still have a playoff game left. That's right, the first ever Monday night wild card game, and it should be a doozy. Rams, Cardinals, I hope we get a good game tonight. There were some blowouts this weekend, uh, and this could be a fantastic matchup. Mainly if both quarterbacks show up. And there are a lot of questions on both sides of that. We'll get into it now. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain. Jason Fitz popped out to do some digital work. He'll be back in a little bit here on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. And joining me now, ESPN Arizona Cardinals reporter Josh Weinfuss. Josh, thanks for the time. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, so I said on Around the Horn today that my key to this game, it's pretty obvious, but it's about quarterback play on both sides. Obviously, Matt Stafford, 100-plus passer rating. They're 9-0 if he dips below just 3-5. and And on Kyler's side, we saw so much success from this team early in the season, 17 touchdowns through their first seven weeks. He gets hurt, D-Hop gets hurt, and in the last six weeks, just seven touchdowns and hasn't been effective, especially with D-Hop out. His passer rating goes way down. So what do you expect from him? Who can we see tonight when Kyler makes his postseason debut? You know, I, I think this team is trending towards the, the team that started the season 7-0. So I think what we're going to see out of Kyler Murray, the guy who, you know, he might have some nerves, but he's just, he's been able to, his whole career, been able to kind of, you know, block out the noise. He's, he's just overly calm in these types of situations. And I can't explain it. Um, you know, I did a story today on how he follows Bruce Lee's teachings and philosophies. So I think that's part of it, how he channels kind of that thinking and, and, and that way of being. Um, but for the most part, you know, I think we're going to see a guy who understands what's at stake. He, he appreciates the spotlight. He likes playing in, in these types of games. And I, I truly think we're going to see him play better this, this uh, tonight, I guess, than he did you know, in the Monday night game against the Rams earlier this season. So I think we're going to see the Kyler Murray who played you know, so good in those, in those first seven games. Well, for what reason do you have? I, I mean, especially because, you know, with, with D-Hop out, with Connor not 100%, um, is there something about what you've seen in recent weeks that has you believing in his return to form? Yeah, you know, I, I think it's a combination of he's, he's getting his, uh, more pieces back, right? You, you, you have Connor right. back. You, like you said, he's not at 100%, but he's, 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 he's on the field. So he's going to be a threat in the short yardage and goal line situations. Chase Edmonds is, is closer to 100%. Than he's been for most of this season. Zach Earth is going to be a big factor in this game. You know, then he has, you know, still has AJ Green. He's getting Rondale Moore back. Um, you know, uh, Christian Kirk is, 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 will be out there. So I think he's going to have all those weapons to, to play with. And I think when he has those types of options, it opens up things for him to do, you know, to make plays with his feet, scramble a little bit more, to get creative. And, you know, when those options are limited, I think Tyler starts to 
I don't want to say panic, but he can't play his full game. So when he has those guys around him, I think he can play more of the Kyler Murray style of football that we're used to seeing. I think that's what's going to happen tonight. Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain talking to Josh Weinfist about the Cardinals ahead of tonight's game against the Rams. Uh, Let's talk about J.J. Watt. I know it's easy after the fact to say I couldn't let my guys be out there without me, but a lot of work went into him coming back several months early, right, from this injury? Yeah, yeah. So the, the original prognosis after his surgery, which happened on November 3rd, was four to six months. And he's back in 13 weeks from his injury. He's about 11 and a half weeks from surgery. Uh, uh, 13 weeks from the injury, 13, 11 and a half weeks from the surgery. I mean, this is typical J.J. Watt, right? He's always come back from these types of big injuries quickly. I know there are some people that were close to him that were a little skeptical. They weren't sure if this should be the thing that he was doing, but he's medically cleared. So, you know, so the doctor's say he's ready um and he just you know he said once he figured out kind of what the timeline was he broke it down into a week and he said all right uh, this many weeks until the end of the season this many weeks until the playoffs all that stuff and he made sure that he was ready and you know i started thinking he was going to be ready sorry a few weeks ago there's an instagram video of him playing basketball in the locker room and i'm like this there's no way he's going to do this and not play football in a few weeks. So, you know, just kind of started training that way. Um, and then, you know, the, I think it was on the Monday night game against the Rams. He was basically um, pulling out these moves against the pad on the goalpost. And he looked really good pregame. So, you know, I mean, he was in street clothes, obviously. But when he's doing things like that, like, it just kind of got me thinking, this was weeks ago, that there's no way he's not going to be back for the playoffs. And obviously, right. he'll... You know, he has uh, – and this defense needs him. They were, this team was 7-0 when come out with him on the field. And then they went, what, 4-6 and six without him. So this team needs him. And I think he's going to be that, that boost that can kind of get this team over, over the hump tonight. Yeah, certainly a mental boost. We'll see how much he can actually offer physically coming off that injury and being out so long. Josh Weinfist talking Cardinals with me here on Spain and Fitz. We've spent so much time talking about the pressure on the Rams, and that's that's rightfully so. What what they gave up to get Matt Stafford, the additions that they made during the season. Um, this is a team that is very firmly in a window. Some might argue the Cardinals are a little ahead of schedule, at least based on preseason expectations. So what kind of pressure do you think they're feeling and what's the conversation around that locker room ahead of tonight? I think there is more pressure on Cliff Kingsbury than people think. You know, he's had a history of his team tailing off in the second half of seasons. And the fact that they, you know, they lost they started seven oh so they lost you know they went four and six in the last half of the season, last ten games. If they get bounced tonight out of the playoffs, I think there's gonna start there's gonna be a conversation around has Cliff Kingsbury reached his potential with his ceiling as a head coach? Because he's taken this team, just, you know, especially if they lose, people might think he's taking this team as far as, as he can do it as, as, as a head coach. Hmm, you know, they, right. they, they were sitting atop the NFC. They were, they, were in, they were in charge of the NFC West basically all season. And then all of a sudden, for an unexplicable, unexplicable reason, they started to just lose, right? And, they, and there were injuries, obviously. And there, but there's, you know, so many self-inflicted Issues, uh, you know, penalties. There were, you know, drop passes, missed kicks, stuff that wasn't happening in the first half of the season. And for that to keep happening year after year, I think at some point, I think this organization needs to take a step back and say, okay, yeah, there's been year after year success, right? He inherited a three-win team. You know, they went to five wins his first year, eight wins his second year, eleven wins his third year. But to to get bounced in the first round of the class when you started seven and zero and you had the talent that you have, at some at some point, you have to say. Has Cliff Kingsbury taken the team as far as he can go? You know, I started to compare it to 
Doug Collins with the Bulls in '89. All right, he took he took he took Michael Jordan and the Bulls as far as they can go. They couldn't get past the, the Pistons. They fire him. They bring in Phil Jackson, and boom, look what happened. Like they they might need to go find their Phil Jackson to get Kyler Murray to that next level. Yeah, there is a, certainly some pressure there and an opportunity to think that you might need an upgrade at that position to take advantage. Josh Weinfuss, ESPN Arizona Cardinals reporter with me here on Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Uh, we've talked a lot about quarterback play leading up to this game. I do think so much hinges on Murray and Stafford's play, but what is another key for this Cardinals team in order to get a win tonight? What has to go right? Uh, I think A.J. Green has to have a big game. I, if, the, if the Rams could take away A.J. Green, I think this offense is going to struggle to get going. Because, you know, like we talked about, there's you no know, DeAndre Hopkins is kind of that, that safety belt, that guy who can go make that big play. And that has to be green this week. And if it's not, then this offense is just going to get stagnant. Right? They're not going to be able to get those big chunk plays, not going to be able to get those, those, those big, you know, explosive touchdowns. So if they can get A.J. Green going early and they can take advantage of this size, especially on the sideline, and maybe even get him going in the, you know, with a touchdown or two, then I think that this team could really get going quickly. And I think that can set the – Tempo for the rest of the year. Awesome stuff, Josh. Enjoy the game. Enjoy the weather. Enjoy the beach and golfing. I don't even. Are you even working out there? Your Twitter is just like you're on vacay. I mean, way to take advantage of it. Uh, enjoy the game tonight. Thanks for the insight. Thanks, Barry. Josh Weinfuss. I mean, seriously, check out his Twitter. He's golfing. He's going to the beach. He's hanging out at the new SoFi Stadium. Pretty, pretty awesome gig. It's Spain and Fit. Sarah Spain with you here. ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. Coming up. It was a long weekend full of ups and downs for a lot of folks. And if you had a tough one, don't worry. It could have been worse. Some of you are responding to a request for nice things to say to the sad fans whose teams lost this weekend a little differently than we expected. Uh, you know, some of you are bringing the snark that I guess I could have I could have presumed we would get. At Doug Dennis 41 the Steelers season may be over now, but the Pirates season is right around the corner. That's just mean, y'all. That's really mean. Uh, We'll get back to some of the actual nice things you offered up to fans who are suffering after their team's loss this weekend. But we've got another way to make those fans feel a little bit better. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain with you. ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. We do a little something that makes you feel better if you had a rough weekend, and it's called It Could Have Been Worse. You thought you had a bad weekend. Phil, there is a tiger in the bathroom. You ain't seen nothing yet. I better get out of here while the getting's good. It could have been worse on Spain and Fitz. That's right. We basically use uh, some form of schadenfreude to celebrate the failings of others and make ourselves feel better. Uh, my team has been eliminated uh, for for a month, two months, I don't know. So I'm feeling good. But if y'all out there are not having a good time on this Monday because you had a bad weekend, we're going to make you feel better by presenting some folks who had a worse weekend. Now, if you're a Cowboys fan, I'm so sorry, but this per- this first part's not going to make you feel better. Um, let's just remind ourselves via 105.3 The Fan uh, just how things went down last night at the end of that Niners-Cowboys game. Prescott in the gun, runs up the middle to the 30, to the 25 and slides. 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Did he spike it in time? Didn't get it spiked in time. They haven't They haven't said anything official. The back judge, the man deepest Away from the ball, he's got the clock. He's keeping track of the clock. Scoreboard so, clock is running at zero. Yeah, so he would be the one to determine where the clock was. Now, again, this could... 
That's the end of the game. Oh, wow. There you go. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Uh, that was a terrible call uh, and terrible execution, and our season's over. Oh, man. I mean, it'd be it'd be tough to have a worse weekend. It would be better to get blown out like some other teams did than it would be to run an up-the-middle QB run play with 14 seconds remaining where your quarterback runs for too long. You forget you have to hand the ball to the official, even though that's the way it's been in the game of football for the entirety of your lived existence. You accidentally box him out as he's trying to get inside. You don't set up on the right spot from where he was downed. And then afterwards, your quarterback makes fun of the officials and tries to blame them. All of that, not great for Dak Prescott. But how about Mike McCarthy, a guy who was already much maligned heading into the game? A guy who has been talked about for years as someone who can't manage the clock, who isn't good at play calling down the stretch. And right after this debilitating, terrible loss, a team that had Super Bowl aspirations, Super Bowl or bust, Jarrah said, has to answer questions about his job. Here's Mike McCarthy. Do you have any concerns about your future with this organization? I don't have any concerns. I'm proud to be standing here today. Proud of my football team. Oof. Now, the good news is Stephen Jones said on the radio today that he expects McCarthy to be back. So I guess the good news for Mike McCarthy, it could have been worse. You could have been fired today. But it still might be coming. And even if you're back next season, good luck earning back the trust of a whole lot of fans that lost whatever remaining trust they had in you with that play call. Now, there are some rumors that it was actually maybe Kellen Moore who made the call, maybe even Dak Prescott, and that Mike McCarthy was doing him a solid after the game by defending it. Either way, there are some meetings going on in Dallas today, and you do have to wonder about Kellen Moore and whether this you know, recency bias will affect other teams and what they see of him as he is a hot commodity on the coaching market right now. Anyway, your, your weekend can't have been worse than Dak and, and McCarthy. That's for sure. How about if you're, you're a, a Nets fan? Uh, man, any other team in the NBA, your fan base is feeling like it could have been worse because Steve Nash, after the injury to Durant, had to come out and say this. It would be tough to lose him. Um, no one wants to see that. And uh, we'll obviously hope for the best outcome. But regardless of, of the outcome, we have to continue to work, build, and grow, and uh, get better and compete. Yeah, he actually said, we can't cry about it. We can't feel sorry for ourselves. He sounded a bit like he was going to cry, and I can't blame him. This is a Nets team that when they get those three together are terrifying. And I could say that as a Bulls fan who watched my team get absolutely worked by the big three, all of them finally together. And now you've got Durant out for a stretch. You've got the always mercurial Harden who can't stay healthy. And then Kyrie, who can only play half the games. This is a tough enough gig just getting all those personalities together. And now Nash has to deal with an injured Durant. And this is a guy that we know in the past has had multiple other injuries. The best predictor of future injuries is past. You just have to hope because it's best for the NBA when Kevin Durant is playing the best ball and is super healthy. Um, but you just have to hope that this isn't something that is a further in, uh, indication that his kinetic chain is always going to be a little fragile, a little prone to injury, uh, especially for that Nets team that really needs the time together on the court so that when they have those opportunities with the big three, when they get to the postseason, um, they take advantage of those minutes. So if you're a fan of any other NBA team, no matter whether they lost or not, it could have been worse. Let's get back to football. Uh, the Steelers, you lost. You weren't particularly competitive. You scored at least, which was nice for you. Uh, you made it interesting for a couple minutes. 
but now you've got an offseason looming where you have absolutely no plan at quarterback. Your Hall of Famer is gone. Here's what Mike Tomlin said about Ben Roethlisberger. Man, he was he was he was seven. Um, it's been an honor and a pleasure, man. Um, I don't have the words. He was seven. Uh, yep, that was his number. Uh, don't have the words. Let let me offer you some. Uh, it's Spain and Fitz, by the way. Sarah Spain, ESPN Radio. Uh, based on a word cloud that NBC thought somebody wanted about Ben Roethlisberger as the end of his career nears, family man at the top, all time great communicative hall of famer gutsy consistent toughness strong loyal competitor growth big clutch leader grit world champion authentic smart oh and then in curse of ben roethlisberger at the bottom thank you nbc for the word cloud about ben roethlisberger now listen i'm not naive enough to think that there wouldn't be plaudits for a future hall of famer as his career wrapped up i'm not even naive enough to think that there wouldn't be some effort to whitewash his reputation because everybody likes, likes a nice, clean ending for someone who's good at throwing footballs. But what I don't need is that kind of effort to convince everybody that he's a good dude. I don't ever have seen, I don't think I've ever seen a word cloud about a player who's retiring. I don't think I've seen such an effort to try to convince everyone that getting married, having kids, finding God, etc., have changed this person who was credibly accused of rape multiple times, who never took accountability for that, and who has been essentially protected because of his ability to play football for his career. And I know a lot of people say, you're a hater. Okay, you want to watch football and not care at all about morality? That is your choice, and you can live with that. But understanding what we know about rapes out of every thousand sexual assaults, 975 of the people accused of them will walk free. It is incredibly rare for them to even be reported. Two of three are not. It is incredibly rare for any arrest, any conviction, any incarceration. So come to me with the there were no charges or he was quote unquote innocent. And that really means nothing about what happened both those instances and whatever other instances might have occurred. I'm not asking for them to focus on it. I do want you to mention it because it is a disrespect to those watching the game who want some sort of realistic conversation around him and not just, again, some whitewashed clean ending where you could feel good that this guy that was good at football is retiring. Try to make us all feel good about it too. Spain and Fitz. Well, could have been worse. So you could have been an NFL fan that has a tiny modicum of morality being forced to watch a word cloud starting with family man for Ben Roethlisberger. All right, finally. Yeah, yeah. Well, let me offer you some. Here's a word cloud. Are you absolutely kidding me? Uh, Novak Djokovic wins. Uh, Literally can't think of someone who had a worse weekend. He tarnished his legacy so indifferent to the millions of people who have died and the others who have suffered from the pandemic as he tried to make his way to the Australian Open using any means necessary. By the time he was kicked out, he had turned what we call the happy slam into an absolute joke. And now potentially might not be able to compete at the French Open and other slams, might not be allowed back at Australia for three years, which could very much affect his ability to claim that 10th Australian title he was looking for. And whether or not you're a fan of him as a tennis player, I would argue there are plenty who were fans of Djokovic before this began, maybe even thought he should have been allowed to be exempt from the vaccination rules in a country that has been that strict this entire pandemic But the way that he handled himself and the way others defended his actions, I think are probably sitting very poorly with even those who considered themselves Joker fans. 
So I don't think there's anybody who had a worse weekend than Novak Djokovic for all of the efforts from people to lay out a red carpet for a guy because of his athletic skill. He finally hit a wall and that was the Australian government. Thank goodness. Now we see where it goes from here for him as he tries to continue his career. Coming up, Monday Night Football preview. Rams, Cardinals, we're getting ever closer. I don't have the words. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz with you, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Extra long, extra large, super Spade and Fitz tonight, which is perfect because we had the same in football this weekend and tonight. Tonight, the first Monday night football wild card playoff game, and there is a ton on the line for both of these squads. Most people arguing it is an abject failure of a season if the Rams don't win, and you're looking at a Cardinals team that had 10 wins early in the season and started to slump, had a lot of people wondering if that's the MO of this coach, of this quarterback, strong starts, bad finishes, and a lot of that, of course, has to do with injury. Kyler Murray was out. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins, if you look, Murray has an 18.4 point lower passer rating when Hopkins is not on the field this season. So figuring out who his weapons are going to be tonight, making up for the loss of his number one guy is going to be a huge piece. And then finding that success that they had earlier in the season. Meanwhile, we know that when Stafford plays well, the Rams have a great shot. They can win even when he's not great because of the talent that they have, particularly Aaron Donald and that killer D-line. But You also need him not to throw the game away late. And as great as he was, as many yards and touchdowns as he racked up, he also tied Trevor Lawrence for the most interceptions in the year. And that's from a guy that they gave a whole lot up for, believing he would be the difference. Swapping out Goff or Stafford would get them further than they'd been before. And by that, I mean a Super Bowl win. And thus far, Jury's still out. You ask a lot of Rams fans, and they are not certain whether Matt Stafford is the guy. He doesn't have a ton of postseason experience, but what he has is all goose eggs. Like I said, Kyle Brandt on Good Morning Football today said he was basically the 40-year-old virgin. He's been waiting so long for a postseason win that everyone's kind of just staring at him like, I don't know if he can handle it. Uh, Fitz, what do you expect out of Matt Stafford tonight? And are you buying what he's putting out publicly about zero stress, zero pressure? I, I'm buying that's the way he feels when it comes to press, pressure and stress because I think he does seem to be the type of person that lives in a little bit of a vacuum with it. Am I buying his ability to perform? I think so, only because I continue to feel like with the weapons around him and Sean McVay as a coach, he should be able to perform. I give so much benefit of the doubt to that, but it hasn't necessarily been the case. So I, I guess I keep looking at Sean McVay saying – if he is the coach that we all give him credit for being, then he must see something that we don't see. So I feel like Stafford has the opportunity to change the entire narrative with one playoff run, which is incredibly powerful to have in your back pocket on a team that's loaded to try and win right now. I mean, also, he may have just had one too many margaritas when they were hanging out in Mexico and he decided to pull the trigger. You you know, I mean, you need actually proof of concept, and that's what he's been getting this season, a lot of ups and downs. Here's what I was talking about earlier in the week. Matt Stafford talking about, I don't have any pressure just because I've never won a playoff game and a team gave up a whole lot for me and I'm on a team that's in a win-now window. Every time I step on the field, I'm proving myself. You know, whether it's a preseason game, a regular season game, practice, a playoff game, um, I want to go out there and play well. You know, this is just another opportunity to do that. This is a team game, there's no question. But at the same time, do I know that when the quarterback plays good, you got a better chance to win the game? Absolutely. So I'm always trying to go out there, you know, play as good a football as I possibly can, help our team win. 
Do you feel more pressure now than you felt in Detroit? No, I feel, I mean, it goes along the same road, really. You know, feel the same amount of pressure every time I step on the field. If you if you step on the football field and you don't feel pressure to go out there and perform, then uh, something's wrong with you, um, in my opinion. So it's, uh, you know, it's positive pressure that I put on myself um, to go out there and, and help our team win. Yeah, pressure is a privilege is the thing you say before the game, and then afterwards you try to pick up the pieces of your life. <laughs> Matt Stafford, when he's been great, 100-plus passer rating, team is 9-0. and when he's been below 100, 3-5. And, and Fitz, to me, it's not about being perfect tonight, but it's those back-breaking pick sixes that he throws. That is what he has to avoid because the rest of the team is good enough to pick up the slack in some areas. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you, but I do think that the fact that the back end of their defense is so decimated is going to allow uh, the opportunity for Arizona to score some points. And I wonder how that changes the offensive game plan. Like, even without DeAndre Hopkins... I still feel like there's going to be the opportunity for some of these other weapons at wide receiver to go deep on this defense. So does it change the way Stafford has to approach? Like, can he remain patient and understand mm-hmm. that, hey, I'll just take what's in front of me? I think that's one of the things we really sometimes just forget for quarterbacks that as much as we love aggressiveness, it's situational aggressiveness that wins yep. games. And I'm, I don't know that I trust Stafford to always be patient when the opportunity is there. You know, it's interesting. You just made me think of a comparison that I had, and I know that Stafford and Mahomes are different quarterbacks, but there is something to be said for when you have the physical ability to do something, the temptation is there to use it, right? And early in the season, when the Chiefs were seeing those two deep safeties and everybody was saying, we're not going to let you beat us on the big play, just dink-a-dunk if you want, and Mahomes had a lot of trouble settling for open things short because he's so used to being able to blow the doors off with those deep passes to Tyree Kill and stuff, It took him a while to figure that out. Stafford has a huge arm, and we've been talking about it his entire career, and I wonder if the ability to make those big plays is what the temptation is always there, and it makes it more difficult for him to to picture and see himself taking what they're giving him. And that speaks to what we've seen even in some of the quarterbacks that have been tremendously successful or not. You know, I I think back to like the 90s when Jeff George was the biggest thing since Mm. sliced bread because he could throw the ball so far. Jamarcus Russell, somebody I watched as a Raiders fan that could throw the ball so far. But then you think about what makes Brady Brady. And last time I checked, he's not out there slanging it that way, right? Like it's just Grossman. F yeah. it, I'm going downfield. <laughs> I mean, you have to have some level of – there's an in-between on it. Like, yeah, you have to have, as they overuse the phrase, arm talent. And there's no doubt that Stafford has that. But you also have to have the mental capacity to know when to right. use it and to know when not to. And I, I think that's or really difficult. Or you're Jay difficult. Cutler. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or you trick many, many coaches into believing that your arm is so good that we will fix your brain and you never can. Um, <laughs> we do have a really hot game tonight. Monday Night Football. Uh, what do we have? We have Larry Fitzgerald and a couple other folks on the Manning cast tonight. So we, we will have a Manning cast. Oh, the cast. Rock is going to be on there, too. Yes, 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 yes. The Rock, Larry Fitzgerald, um, and, and and somebody else. I can't remember who. Um, but, you know, we're, this is a big deal, Fitz, to have a Monday night game that's a wild card, not only because of just watching all the other action all weekend long, having a full day to digest everything from yesterday, and going out there knowing that everybody's watching, all eyes on you, but also short recovery afterwards. So uh, a ton of pressure. Oh, yeah, Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson tonight, also on the Manning cast. So uh, two great former players, and then, and then The Rock uh, on, on as well. But I think you make a good point about the short week and the, the, the impact it has because we know that the winner of this game is going to play Tampa Bay on Sunday. So they'll have plenty of time to recover. 
but at the other side of it is that's one day less than Peyton, than Peyton good Lord, than Tom yeah. Brady is getting mm-hmm. to get ready. And that, that just feels like it has consequence. So if you're either of these teams, you've got the, the, the number one goal is obviously to win. But you've also got to just have it in the back of your mind. My God, if we can walk out of this thing remotely heavy, healthy, I should say, injuries are going to play a huge part of the next round of the playoffs. Yeah, and they already are for the Cardinals, obviously. DeAndre Hopkins being out is such a big part of this. What are you expecting from the Cardinals? Because, you know, I've been hot on them all season long, right up until a couple weeks ago when you just looked at completion percentage, total touchdowns, accuracy, everything had dropped off for Murray. And it was post his own injury, but it was also without his guy D-Hop. Yeah, and I think that's such a strong point to where the problem has been. It feels like they've lost a little bit of their identity and it feels like they've lost a little bit Kyler Murray has lost a little bit of his sureness on what he's doing with the football Mm -hmm. every time he drops back that's been what has really stood out to me like there's an element of game planning that I expect from Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury that I felt like was really there early in the season where they were constantly on the same page and he did everything very decisively over the course of the last four or five weeks that decisiveness is gone. Now, part of that is because Hopkins isn't there to bail you out of every situation because he's one of the best wide receivers in the league. But also part of that is just that Kyler Murray's got to feel comfortable with everybody else. That's easier said than done with the young quarterback. So I I feel like the first 15, 20 plays, the scripted plays, are going to be really important to just getting Kyler Mm -hmm. Murray settled down in some sort of a rhythm. I also think it's going to matter a lot how the Rams decide to play them, whether they want to get away from what has been their strength this season and what they've used the most in order to try to affect him. Because Kyler led the NFL in QBR against zone coverage this season and was just 23rd against man. The Rams played zone at the second highest clip in the entire league. And he has an 80 QBR against the Rams zone this year. 28 QBR against their man coverage. Do they decide to mix things up a little, make it a little trickier on him, especially earlier in the game, take away his confidence? That could be something to watch very early in this game, how the Rams decide to play it. Uh, before it starts, one word or fewer. Well, just one word because there's no Sarah's words Jason one. Fitz, ESPN uh, Rams Radio, Radio ESPN app, Sirius Rams. XM channel Rams 80. We're well presented by Progressive uh, Power Shift. Uh, Bill Fitz, Pats uh, definitely up for one of the and best performances in the game of the weekend. Well. Pre-game. Unfortunately, things didn't pan out for his his uh, his beloved Raiders. I got to talk about the Bills. Uh, Fitz, I experience football-related jealousy. There should be a pill for that. I feel like, you know, <laughs> this is a commercial. Like, do you experience football-related jealousy? Um, I had it a lot this weekend. I had it when the Chiefs had to announce that they had run out of fireworks because they scored too many times. I think the Bears probably have a 20-year backload of fireworks yet to be used. <laughs> I have it when watching the Bucks and Tom Brady and Gronk make these incredible connections that seem completely effortless and as if there's no one on the field even covering him. I have it when I watch Patrick Mahomes make sideways shovel passes and uh, look spectacular. But there was no point this weekend when I felt more jealous and I had more football-related jealousy than when I was watching that Bills game because it was so fun watching Josh Allen from the beginning of that game putting the team on his back, using his legs, using his arm, accidentally throwing a beautiful touchdown pass that would be by far the best touchdown pass anyone from the Bears has ever thrown, and he was throwing the ball away. Perfect touch on it. Uh, It just seven drives, seven touchdowns. Watching Belichick on the other side want to pull his hair out, want to puke on the field as his guys were getting rolled, just beautiful it was it was beautiful and it was never boring even though it was a total blowout 
It was a statement win that changes everything the organization can feel internally and everything fans can feel externally. And, you know, it, it reminded me a little bit in that sense of watching the end of the national championship game. And you and I talked afterwards about why I felt it was significant for Georgia to just say, hey, we beat Alabama. I think the significance here isn't just that the Bills roll in a playoff game. It's that they roll the Patriots mm-hmm. specifically. And to come in and say, hey, we beat you. You Fine. The Patriots won the one game in the snow where they threw the ball three, four, and three times. We'll talk about that for a long time because it was such a big win in that moment. But the, the Bills in the other two games where there weren't strange conditions just whooped the snot out of the Patriots. Mm. And now you've got to look at it totally differently in the halls, in the build. Like, you're talking about back-to-back AFC East champions that just did that to arguably the greatest football coach of all time and now can go into it and say, hey, guess what? Our roster right now looks like it's going to be better for the next several years, and we just thumped you in the playoffs. You, if, if you're in that building, you feel more empowered today about where the Bills are going than you have in years. And that's the statement that came from a playoff win. I totally agree with you, but I would say that unfortunately the Bills fans, more than literally any other team in the National Football League, does not get to linger long on that feeling. Because this was a Belichick-led team with a rookie quarterback who was very limited in what they handed him, a defense that was very effective, and they went out in the offseason and they really paid and bought for the guys that they wanted, which is not usually the formula for, for the Patriots, but... Any other team that feels like this gets a win like that is building on their own Super Bowl window and aspirations gets to feel really confident. And if I'm a Bills fan, I'm still looking over my shoulder at what Belichick can do in year two with Mac Jones and some of those players. And I'm not nearly as comfortable as I would be anywhere else. Well, and you're not wrong, especially considering I think they were ahead of the curve. You're totally right about that. but. Uh, the other side of it is there are certain teams in the AFC to me, and I'll use the Chiefs as an example. I don't really think the Chiefs do or should give a damn about what happens for the Chargers, the Raiders, or the Broncos anytime moving forward because the Chiefs know that ultimately they're competing against themselves and the best of the league. They sit in a different level. I think the Bills made a real statement that they belong in that Chiefs conversation more than they belong mm. in that secondary conversation, and that's sort of – why I think that the, the Bills have finally reached that point where they can worry about their own house for once instead of having to worry about their own house and worry about what their neighbors are doing. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I mean, I'm not taking anything away from that feeling. And honestly, if you want to exercise the demons of a franchise that has consistently been felled by another in their division, the best way to do that is with a blowout that was literally perfection. You scored a touchdown on every drive. You got every single yard possible your punter never came out you didn't ever even have a fourth down i mean there is no more complete <laughs> what destruction like? what's that life like i don't, I don't know like <laughs> honestly they should apologize it was very cold for their punter to be there and never get to kick a ball like just show up and hold every once in a while that's that's an unfair expectation for someone in that kind of weather speaking of that by the way putting a cherry on top of that incredible win is Ryan Fitzpatrick, Bills legend, who has played for, I believe, every team in the NFL at this point, technically still on the roster for the Washington football team, showing up, was in a suite for most of the game, but at one point was in the crowd of all the regular everyday fans, shirtless, six degrees, hamming it up with the other Bills faithful, 
part of the mafia. I just, I love that guy. I was, I've always loved that guy. But being one with the people in that game in that weather, that just puts him even higher in my book. I, I, my only question is, why are you doing that to your nips? Like, there's no reason to put your nipples out in that, that much temperature. much stronger nips than you, I'm guessing. I, I mean, there, there's just a spot. Like, I'm the first, like, and let's be real. Like, we did learn that. His chest is as hairy as his face is, so it maybe is. his nipples yeah. aren't as sensitive. But Very like, warm. It's like I, wearing I just, a shirt, I bet. I, I feel like at least tape them. Like, do something. Protect the nips. That's hashtag yeah, protect I agree. the nips. Maybe there was some sort of Vaseline situation or something that was helping them. <laughs> maybe he had some like uh, some warming gel on them. Also, by the way, Fitzpatrick, not the only person that made a real effort to show up for a squad. Uh, Donna Kelsey, Travis Kelsey's mom, goes and sees Jason in a loss. The next day, flies commercial to make her way across the country to get to Travis game and then pops up on the post game zoom to ask him about throwing his first touchdown pass in the NFL uh, and then Stefan Diggs beats the brakes off the Pats hops on a plane and makes his way to go see his bro and the Cowboys lose I mean that's dedication I like that yeah we got to get these guys private jets though I mean I mean on, I let... think I think Diggs definitely took a PJ I don't know why Donna Kelsey you got two kids in the NFL Two paychecks coming in. Why is Donna Kelsey flying commercial? We need an answer for that. Coming up, we'll give you an answer on some good takes and hot takes, too. It's next. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz with you on a Monday night. ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Thanks for listening. You're probably keeping an eye on the Monday night football game as well. First wild card playoff game on a Monday night. Rams, Cardinals, Fitz praying to the football gods that we get a good one. We got a couple good ones. We got a couple duds this weekend. Thanks to your Raiders for keeping it close. Sorry to keep bringing up that they lost. Oh, I did it again. Hmm. They, they lost? I had no, I had no idea. There was a playoff <laughs> game this weekend? I, I don't, it hey, happened. When you're used it to 51-3 to in an AFC championship game or drubbing in the Super Bowl or the tuck rule, you'll take just a normal it's everyday It's just nice loss. to be there, honestly. Yeah. It's nice to yeah. be nominated as a playoff <laughs> team. Uh, lots of takes coming in hot. This week, uh, this weekend and today after the games. And when we get to a Monday, post a whole bunch of football games, we like to figure out whether they're good takes or hot takes. That's what we're going to do now. Time to cut through the BS and rate the best takes of the day. Are they good takes? He would be the best quarterback in the history of New York to land here. Or hot takes. Hot takes. Give the damn ball and let him decide. But that's not the Green Bay way. Find out now on Spain and Fitz. Let's start with the wildest, most talked about game of the weekend, Cowboys 49ers and that finish where the Cowboys ran a play that definitely would take longer than the seconds remaining and then they were ineffective at every turn, accidentally boxing out the official, trying to spot the ball themselves several yards ahead of where he was downed. And then after the fact, Dak Prescott made things even worse with this exchange. That's sad. Uh I mean, you're talking about a team, you're talking about men that come out each and every day of their lives and uh, give everything to the sport, um, give everything to this game of football. Um, nobody wants to succeed more than we want to succeed. I understand fans and, and, and the word fan for fanatic. I get that. But um, to know everything that we put into this day in and day out, try our hardest. Um, nobody comes in in the game wanting or expecting, expecting to lose. And um, for, for people to react that way when you're supposed to be a supporter, um, and, and be with us through thick and thin, uh, th- that's tough. I think they were aiming at the referees. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're they're referees. Credit to them then. Oh, okay, so it's really disrespectful to throw things at you, but throwing things at referees who are also 
doing their job and doing their best is okay. I get heat of the moment, really frustrating loss, tons of disappointment, but that is a bad hot take. Yeah, I agree with you. That's a hot take. You can just keep playing the flames on it. And I think Dak (laughs) owes some people apologies. Everything he Mm -hmm. said at the beginning of his statement, I really tried to listen to every word. And as he said, these are men who've given, who give everything to the game. They come in and do the work every day. They care about it so much. Every single thing that he said can and should also be said about officials. Even if we don't like the calls that they make sometimes, they certainly care about the sport that they're involved in. They love it. It's a life's work. It's passion to get there. They get there, and all of a sudden you think that the best thing to do is to trash their effort because you didn't like the call when you made a mistake. I mean, that is a soft, soft move by Dak. And I said it before, Fitz, and I know people will think I'm being a Cowboys hater, but I mean this honestly for any team any institution any company any group of people any family if you are constantly blaming outside forces for your own failures you will not find success and that is the problem with this cow but they're going to point the fingers at everybody but the bad play calling and the bad execution 14 penalties tying a franchise record pre-snap penalties all game long just undisciplined and at the end you're going to try to say that that game came down to an official not spotting the ball even though you didn't hand it to him and you were in the way and you put it in the wrong spot and you ran for too long and you called the wrong play I mean come on you're asking for you to continue the dysfunction that's gotten you where you are which is what 25 years of, of thinking that you're really relevant and not being it's a hot take bruh all right, Dan Orlovsky, the, the MVP of this segment, ha- oh, yeah. has got some things to say, and they are related to the Cowboys as well. Here he is talking Mike McCarthy on KJM. I don't know how you bring back the head coach. I don't, I just, and I know people hate that Dan Orlovsky goes on Get Up and says that this coach shouldn't be back. I'm not calling for his job. I'm just telling you, I don't know how you bring him back. For, <laughs> and I started this segment with this dude, this should have been a 21 point beatdown. They're lucky San Francisco kicked field goals. And the truth of it is this, Jay. Mike McCarthy and Dak Prescott together, outside the NFC in the last two years, they're 6-9. and nine. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're talking NFC about... NFC East, you mean. Excuse me. I'm, what are, uh, NFC East. Outside yeah. of the NFC East in the last two years together, they're 6-9. and nine. Yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty bad. I'm, I'm going to say that's a good take, Fitz. Hey, good. And it's tough because I don't think that usually a play call here or there should decide someone's job. But I think this Cowboys team, with the amount of talent that they have, a first-round exit, the inconsistencies we saw all year, the lack of discipline all game long, and then a guy who's been plagued by time management and play calling his entire career finishing a season like this, even if they bring him back and they tell everyone they have a lot of confidence in him, I worry about the players not feeling that way, and I certainly worry about a fan base looking for every opportunity to criticize his effort. I feel like it's a good take also, and part of it is just about accountability to what you're great at. And, you know, we've talked about before that when a coach is brought in, a head coach is hired, they're oftentimes held to a higher standard for what they're supposed to be great at. So if you're Mike McCarthy at this point, you don't call the plays on the offense or defense. So you are there specifically to to focus on discipline and execution, time management, all of these things. Like You're there to truly be the CEO of coaches. And so I have to look across the board at the way this all went down for an incredibly talented roster and say, did they have the CEO that could get the most out of every ounce of the team? And when you think about the poor execution on the play – 
even the okaying of the play call, the number of times that Mike McCarthy could have stepped in and said, hey, no, we're not doing that, and the number of times you see that it wasn't properly executed because, in theory, it wasn't properly prepared, it's only fair at some point to look at Mike McCarthy and say, if you have very set things you're responsible for and the team's not good at any of those things, are you doing an efficient job? My only problem is, for the Cowboys, the last couple of coaches have been uh, problems. So what fixes the fact that the people hiring the coaches may not be good at finding great coaches? Yeah, I mean, it's – and there's also the question of how much there is coming from above that affects the confidence that the coach has in their own decision-making, um, you know, whether they feel, you know, restricted by Jerry Jones or anybody else. Like, it, there's a lot of dynamics around the Cowboys that have you questioning the, their lack of success despite all of the spending and everything else over the last however many years. It's good take-hot take here on Spain and Fitz. Let's get to Rex Ryan on Greeny today talking about Joe Burrow. He reminds me of Tom Brady, and I mentioned that earlier in the season. Mm-hmm. I mentioned it, his mannerism, but his leadership, and in the biggest moments, this guy is the calmest, and he's got just a hired killer mentality, and that's what he reminds me of, of, of Tom Brady. And, and look, he's going to make his own tracks in the league. It's going to be, we're going to be, you know, 10 years from now, we're going to say, this guy's the next Joe Burrow. I think this guy's got what it takes to win multiple championships. Yeah, uh, I think that's a good take. He good. Because he didn't say he's going to be Tom Brady or he is as good as Tom Brady. He said he reminds him of him. And Fitz, that ice in his veins, completely killer instinct that he has while simultaneously appearing completely unruffled by anything, uh, that's very Brady-esque. He's very efficient. He gets the job done. He doesn't look like he reacts poorly after a mistake or gets too high. Um, He's more fun than Brady, right? I like the cigars. I like the dancing. That's a little more personality than Brady had when he was with the the Pats, at least. But I think that's a good take. So this is going to, like, now I'm I'm totally going to regret saying this. I think it's a hot take in some ways. Not because I disagree with any of the comparisons, but because I think that Burrow is at a much different level right now than even Brady was a couple of years in. Having like done all these man-in-the-arena shows that we've done reacting to the episodes every time, one of the things that's really uh, incredible and really hit me in watching each season of Brady's development was that the first couple of years, he wasn't as emotionally even-keeled as Joe Burrow is right now. He was very uh, up and down emotionally to the point that his teammates had to really teach him how to manage emotion and be the best of himself. Burrow's already past that point, so... Mm. As crazy as I'm not saying he's better than Brady. I'm saying that Burrow today is as calm and cool and collected as Brady is after 10 years in the league. So I think that, you know, Burrow has really set himself up to have a much different identity because he's already light years ahead emotionally of where Brady was early in his career. I hope I have not said that in such a hot take way that I'll regret it. We'll find out. All right, last one. (laughs) Sean McDermott, Bill's head coach, after the win over the Pats. Football going on, Adam. I, you know, we still have plenty to work on, though. When you, I know the score was what it was, um, but there's a lot in there that is kind of hidden right now that we got to get fixed for next week. <laughs> oh, just, come on, stop! <laughs> <laughs> Lots to improve. You scored a touchdown on every possession. You never punted. You never faced fourth down. You embarrassed Bill Belichick and your rivals. Lots to improve. I guess he's got to say that. That's a terrible take. That's a hot as hell take. Coming up on Spade and Fitz, we're going to say some nice things, and we're going to check in on Monday Night Football. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz with you, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. 
We had a wild weekend of super wild card football, and we're capping it off with a Monday night football game. The Rams currently up 7-0 on the Cardinals, OBJ with a touchdown. Fitz, I can't remember, and maybe you'll put a spin on this, do you remember how you felt about that deal and whether you thought OBJ would be able to to do much and turn things around after starting off poorly with the Browns? Yeah, I didn't think there'd be much there uh, just because you looked at it at the time and thought, okay, there's so many weapons on offense. That turned out to not necessarily be the case. Plus, I think we overvalue sometimes a wide receiver traded or, or acquired midseason. It seems like it's so hard to get timing down in offenses. But, you know, kudos to him. He's getting it done for sure. Yeah, I appreciate you being honest about that, too. Um, I wasn't certain that he'd be great, but I did think that he was exactly what they were looking for in terms of style of play and where he might fit in that offense. And it felt like there was too much there to believe that he would just show up and and not be effective. So um, certainly proving himself in in a couple games of late as this Rams team added a ton of weapons. Uh, Looks like the Cardinals are going to have to punt here looking at fourth and 21 we'll keep you updated on that earlier in the show fits uh we were asking folks to help make the losers feel better uh losers like you whose teams lost this weekend and are now looking at an offseason now again i'm not one to talk because my team has been basically in an offseason for a couple months we had a couple games down the stretch that meant absolutely nothing so uh it's been a while since i felt anything you know in my cold <laughs> black heart you guys just had yours broken. So we asked for folks to say something nice. And we got some nice things. And we got a lot of things that maybe aren't so nice. At Quirky Name Later said, The Cowboys aren't going to have any more penalties this season, which is amazing. Mm. Mm. Uh, at Unholy Union NDY, uh, the Eagles have three first-round picks in the upcoming draft. That's nice. That's a lot of that's a lot of hope for the Eagles. That's a lot um, of hope for the Eagles. Yeah. At quirky name later again, Bill Belichick will have New England competitive every season he coaches. That is a very nice thing to say to New Englanders. It makes the rest of us want to throw things. But you're right. It is going to be pretty much a competitive team every time he's coaching. Uh, nice thing for the Cowboys from Mike Solart. Mike, Micah Parsons is entering year two. Year two. Again, yeah, having yeah, Micah yeah. Parsons be young and great. By the way, how huge was it last night when he came back in? I was very concerned for that team when he went out that that might be, that might be curtains right there. Yeah, and, and you think about the impact he's had. To your point, I think everybody puckered up for that, and, and it only speaks to his incredible greatness. And I want to go back to the draft and kind of mm-hmm. laugh at how often everybody was trying to figure out what to do with certain players that opted out and you didn't know what to expect. And Parsons was one where people thought, well, you don't know, you know, we haven't seen any football for a year. Jamar chase is another one that you don't know. And man, you look at some of these and it's like, well, that year off sure turned into a home run. So good for them and good for him for coming back out and and continuing to make an impact. Yeah. A couple of those. I mean, it's always going to be a crapshoot. You're going to do your best, but there are a couple instances of people uh, really panning some draft picks and and players taken over other options. And they've come up pretty big, a couple of them uh, with Cincinnati, uh, with the Pats, uh, with the Cowboys. So um, at buy my cards, one, two, three to all the Cowboys fans have no fear. You still have the Lakers and the Yankees. Also Duke is in the top 10. Oh, that's so harsh, but I kind of love every second of that. Yeah. Oh, bandwagoners. At the Justin line, the Raiders made it to the playoffs and had a good showing. Despite all the turmoil this year, they'll be even better next year for certain. See? That's nice. Look at that. I appreciate Do you believe it. that, Look. though? Do you think it's certain that they're going to be better? 
I thought it was certain in 2016 that the Raiders were about to go on a run of playoff appearances and that mm-hmm. we'd have trouble retaining Amari Cooper, uh, a certain guy that plays in Chicago I've never heard of since, and, mm-hmm. and Derek Carr all on one, mm-hmm. all at one time. And then we see how that went. Nothing. So. Yeah, someone else pointed out, though, that in the last something like 20 years, the, the, the Raiders have been to the postseason three times, and in the last five years, twice. Yeah, look at that. Look See? at the progress. It's looking up. I, you know what? This is this is why I drink. That's that's really oh. what it comes down to. Uh, at our fa- uh, at Untouchable Cas one, one of our faves said, "Sorry for your loss, Cowboy fans, but at least your stadium looks fire in HD, SD, 4K, 2K. Uh, it looks like it's on fire if you're at that one point midfield where you're looking directly into the surface of the sun, which is a problem <laughs> for them. That wasn't the most home field advantage there. Uh, at Bill G nine fifty seven. Uh, this is a very bitter and sad person. Get a life would be my advice. Your favorite players on your teams are all going to be fine and are going to vacation in nice warm spots while you're still stuck in snow up to your ass. Okay, Bill. Wow. Hey, Bill, hey, Bill you Bill, need a hug, dude. Like, find, nice. find some joy. A, yeah, Bill. yeah, get it like, together, man. I mean, uh, like Lord. Becca did at Becca Hain. None of you are the Jets. That's oh, great. Look That's at a that. really look nice thing to say. I appreciate that perspective. I needed that. You know, it, it feels good. I honestly, when I did, it should it could have been worse earlier in the show. I probably should have just said you could be the Jets, and that just goes for all the time, right? There's there's always <laughs> something to make you feel better. Um, at Points Bet USA, next year is your year, Cowboys fans. It sounds nice, but based on the fact that we've been saying that forever, I think it was sarcasm. Yeah, that that you know. But I'll take it. It's okay. Like, you know, everybody's going to be a little saucy right now. You got the, the combination of weird trash talk in this period. You've got trash talking coming from people whose teams have nothing to play for and aren't in the playoffs. But then you have trash talking from people who, like Patriots fans, who lost but right. still want to remind you, as my, my buddy Scooby in the digital department just reminded me, he's seen six Super Bowls in his lifetime. Oh, no. So what's that's he care fair. about one playoff life? Yeah, that's you know, like So you're going to get trash talk from everybody right now. You just have to accept that. That's the way it's going to come. Uh, at Rando Mog said, Raiders fans, you can always change your luck at the roulette table. Mm, not, and not, Dallas not. Cowboys fans, you could just fire McCarthy and not admit it's actually your owner. That's the problem. Mm, uh, Eagles okay. fans, you have three first round picks to put misguided hope in. And everyone else, you have solid teams. Well, that was nice. You finished <laughs> with something nice. Uh, a lot of folks actually saying positive things about your Raiders because of the amount of adversity they went through. And... I do have to agree with that. But the problem is, Fitz, sometimes I think we conflate success despite adversity as there then being a through line to the next season and what happens. And I think when you win in spite of all this stuff, it makes it really difficult to guess what's coming next. That is brilliant perspective. And one of the toughest things about real conversations with the Raiders, because if you look at what's happened today and the the breaking news that Mike Mayock has been let go, and you think about what it could mean for a rebuild. The hardest thing is how do you compartmentalize a year that was unlike any that has ever been seen and unlike any hopefully any franchise will ever see again. How do you compartmentalize the success of that year and say, hey, this was great. But also now we need to get out of this moment and look at everything for our team to figure out what's best moving forward. And that's a really difficult question to answer mm-hmm. when you have the emotion of a season that saw so many things bigger than football happening to the group. And everybody playing in that locker room obviously loves Rich Bisaccia. But at the end of the day, the team can't make decisions based on that. They have to make decisions based on who they think gives them the best opportunity to win for the next five years. And there's no easy answer to any of this. It's why I don't envy this process. 
Fitz, you just reminded me of something, and I will say, you know, speaking from the perspective of a Bears fan, a playoff appearance, despite not being that great of a team, is what ended up bringing back a whole bunch of folks who didn't deserve to come back. And I do think it can cloud your ability to build for the next year and do what's best when you're settling into feeling good about yourself because of a playoff berth. And we talked about that point differential from the from the Raiders being down there with all the really bad teams. I think that's got to be a concern is making sure you don't get too puffed up about the way you worked through the adversity to the point where you put yourselves at a disadvantage as you try to grow into next year. Certainly yeah. something to think about. 